0: It's a thrill to be here today. Uh, As I look at this passage, we're going to cover a passage that is pretty common on Palm Sunday. It's going to be about Jesus riding into town. So Matthew 21 is where we're going to be today. This uh, episode in Jesus' life, Him riding into Jerusalem, uh, is in all four of the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so while you're turning there, I want you to think about your own life. Uh, have you ever um, gone, probably on a Friday night or a Saturday night, to a restaurant? And as you pull into the parking lot, you see there's lots of cars and maybe even people standing outside the restaurant. And so, in your brilliant mind, you think, "Oh, I'm gonna, we're gonna drop someone at the door and let them run in and get our name on the list." Or if you have a large party, you're gonna go in and. Make sure that the host or hostess is ready for your big party. And then you, you know, drive four blocks and park and, and walk in, and you still wait an hour and 20 minutes. But, but that's kind of the, the idea here that I, that I see with this Palm Sunday, kind of a modern example of the disciples uh, of Jesus getting ready for what's about to happen. That there's some things that have to be done in advance for Jesus to fulfill the prophecy and his calling, his mission here on earth, which is ultimately to die uh, for our sin. And so here's what he's going to do. He's going to send some people ahead to get a few things in order, bring them back, and then he's going to go. The whole group is going to go. And so we're at the preparation stage for him entering Jerusalem here. And so in Matthew 21, verse one, it says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on and put on them their cloaks. And he said to them, Most of the crowd I jumped ahead. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee. At this time, during this week of Passover, Uh, scholars estimate there were between 500,000 and 2 million people, which is a big, wide range. Between 500,000 and 2 million people in the city of Jerusalem because they were coming for the Passover. Uh, They were coming for this once-a-year celebration. And Jesus is coming from another town, having just healed a man, and he's making it through, and they get to Bethpage, uh, this suburb on the east side, if you will, about two miles away, kind of on the hill where the Mount of Olives is. And so you can kind of see on a map here we have. So uh, there's Jerusalem, uh, the front door, which is like the front, the entrance to the main entrance to the city. There's Bethany where he's coming from. They had just healed a man. And he stops in Bethpage right next to the Mount of Olives. So from Bethpage into town is about two miles. And so they get to Bethpage and Jesus knows that he's entering the city. Many scholars believe that he entered on a Monday. This is, would be Monday that he's doing this, which is the day in the Old Testament the lambs that were going to be sacrificed would be presented. The sacrificial lambs would be presented on Monday. And then on Friday, those same lambs would be slaughtered to pay the penalty of sin for the people. Hmm. Sounds familiar. And so here Jesus is about to ride into town, but first he needs something. He needs to find a donkey and ride into town on the donkey. It seems rather odd and strange and weird. And if you read the e-newsletter on Fridays that we send out, I don't imagine riding a donkey. Like, how do you do that? Especially a baby donkey, a colt like like that it's a weird idea to ride a donkey especially a small one strange but but in this scene and this weird because we hyper-spiritualize this moment but but there's a reality here of of animals and going down a trail and into a city filled with people but let's look and see what this episode tells us about the person of Jesus, uh, the majesty of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus. Because as you and I look at this scene, and most of us know what happens at the end of the week, that he rides in this moment celebratory, but at the end of the week, there is sacrifice and death. And then on the first day of the new week, there's celebration again that he conquered death. But this passage, this account in the life of Jesus tells us a lot about who he is. Because that's the question that they want to know. Who is this? Who is this? Well, this morning I hope we'll dive deep into who Jesus is. The first thing that I hope we would see is that in the name of Jesus there is power and authority. In the name of Jesus there's power and authority. Only Jesus would know that there was a donkey and a colt available to him in the village, probably Beth Page where they were. Only he would know that only he would know exactly where to tell these two disciples to go and find such animals. Only Jesus would be able to ride a colt, not because he's short but because If you've never ridden a horse or another animal that's been untamed, it's nearly impossible. Like in the modern world, there's professional people who are hired to try to tame those animals so that you can then ride upon them. No one has tamed this colt yet. And yet Jesus rides the colt into town without any issue, without any problem. Only the name of Jesus would be enough when the owner of the donkey and the colt asked the question, why are you taking my animals? Why are you stealing my stuff? That's what we would say. Because imagine, this after- no, not this afternoon, because this afternoon you're going to be across the street. But tomorrow... After work or after school, I want you to go seven houses down from your house. Don't go to your next door neighbor. Go seven houses down. Go into their garage. Grab a bicycle or a moped or maybe they leave their keys in their car. Take that out. And then when they come out and question you, oh, uh, Scott needs it. John needs it. David needs it. And see how they respond to that. <laughs> Your name and my name don't have any authority. But Jesus does. Like we 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 again, we think really crazy, but this is a weird scene. Go take this man's donkey and baby donkey. And bring him back so that I can ride two miles into town. But when you have authority, when you have power, you know exactly who to ask. You know exactly what to do. And you know exactly what the response will be. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is authority in the name of Jesus. But Jesus didn't use that authority. He didn't use that power to conquer. He didn't use that power to overthrow the government. He didn't use that power to to make himself great in the sense of the way the world thinks about greatness. No, he used that power and authority to enter as a humble servant. He gets that donkey and the colt so that he can fulfill a 500 year old prophecy. Because Jesus is the humble servant king. His name is mighty. In his name there is salvation. But he's the humble servant king. And as he rides into town, all these people are following, most of them probably from Bethany, maybe even all the way from from the northern part of Galilee. They've followed him in. They've seen him heal a man. There's some exciting things happening. They're all thrilled to follow him. And so he's already got a crowd of people in addition to the 500,000 or a million people that are around town. And here they come. And though this moment here as we read this, and even as we sang this morning, it's a celebratory moment, but it's not a triumphant moment, even though that's what we call it. Because Jesus Jesus isn't coming in to overthrow the government. He's not coming in to, to take his position as a political leader. He's not coming in to establish his right as king No, there's no triumph here because he's going to die. And no one fully grasped that except him. he was the king who died for his people. And he rode into town on a donkey, not a mighty stallion, because the donkey represents peace. He's the prince of peace. And if I were to have a choice, I would rather ride in a horse than a donkey. But he rode in on the symbol of peace. And as he rode in, people, all those folks that had followed him from the previous town, were laying their garments, laying their jackets, their outer coats on the ground. The disciples had already put their garments on the back of the colt to make a saddle Maybe his feet wouldn't drag then. Maybe give a little height, but but they were laying their garments down, and I don't know where they found the palm branches. I guess just on the side of the road. Um, we got ours online, but 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 I think about all those details, right? Because those details matter. They they were laying there to celebrate celebrate this one who is coming in their mind to rescue them. That's why they're shouting Hosanna. That's why they're saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's why they're saying, blessed be the son of David. They they want Jesus to rescue them. In that moment right now, please get these Romans out of here and save us. And they missed it completely. Completely. But this scene is almost unimaginable for me because I can't imagine a scenario, mostly because I don't wear a jacket very often, but where I would lay a jacket on the ground for someone so they could walk across it or worse, have a donkey trample over it and then another thousand people behind it. But as I reread this passage, because, you know, it's every Easter, I thought about this question When's the last time you ruined something valuable? When's the last time you gave away something valuable to celebrate someone else? When's the last time you ruined something valuable? When's the last time you gave away something valuable to celebrate the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the mighty savior, the humble servant king? That's what every one of those people did. And in a week later, they were all screaming crucify him. They they gave up their clothes, for him to walk across, for him to ride across, and then a week later, they were screaming for Barabbas, which is a lot like us. We're so excited this morning, we celebrate Jesus, we're thrilled our kids are celebrating Jesus, and then tomorrow, because tonight, you're gonna keep doing that. When I say it a thousand times, some of you hear it first time, We'll turn our backs on him. And and that's why this scene is so striking, why it's so important, why it's so critical. When's the last time I've done something so dramatic to celebrate my savior? That's a tough question to ask. But as these people, hundreds or thousands of people sing and shout his name, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. As they're shouting that and he makes that two mile trek, probably a 30 or 40 minute ride down the hill into town. I want to remind you That that phrase, those statements that the people are making remind us that there is hope in the name of Jesus. That in his name there is hope. And though they didn't realize it fully, they didn't recognize it in that moment because a few days later they turn on him. They're celebrating the salvation that Jesus offers because that word hosanna means save us now. It means salvation. And them waving the palm branches was a sign of joy, a joy that, that our King has come. They were thrilled that Jesus was there, they were excited. And here, all these people are pressing into town. There's people everywhere, it's chaos. I'm sure the fact that they were two miles out to begin with was no accident because if Jerusalem had, had swollen to, to a million people, let's say, there was probably no room to operate. P- people wanted to be there because they understood the significance of that week in their culture, in their history, in their faith. In a, in a much less degree There's something happening this week, today as a matter of fact, in a small town in Georgia that has captured the attention of millions of people since Thursday. Well, really, since before then, but it started on Thursday. You might know it as this little tournament called the Masters. This golf tournament where Tiger Woods, the great Tiger Woods, has reappeared And people have swarmed that little town. Our family had the privilege a few years ago to win tickets. If you win something, you shouldn't have to pay for it. (laughs) But in this case, you do. So we won tickets uh, to a practice round on Tuesday. Tuesday. And we were thrilled. Many of you know Evan, our middle one, is a big golfer, and and so we we went, but before we got there, looking for we were looking for hotel rooms. And if it wasn't for the generosity of one of our church members, who used a bunch of points, and I still paid a bunch of money, uh, we wouldn't have been close. But we were close. Otherwise, we would have been sixty-five miles away. the tournament. 65 miles away from the tournament because so many people were there. It was a great experience. We still have the cool cups that we got and the $1.50 egg salad sandwiches are awesome. It was great. But I think about that scene and and, and how challenging it is in the moment to, to maneuver with hundreds of thousands of people. And how When we walked onto that course, to my estimation, only one person, only one person that was at the tournament knew who our family was, only one person. Because she happens to be a golf writer, And we're friends from Orlando. No one knew we were there. We couldn't even tell all of you because we couldn't take our phones in and brag about how awesome it was and gloat that you weren't there. We couldn't do it. But nobody knew. And then I look at this scene here, and they ask the question. The whole city city is stirred up. Jesus is entering on the donkey. This you know, throng of people is, is following him, waving the branches, putting their coats on the ground. He comes into the city and they ask an important question. Who is this? Word traveled fast that this guy was somebody. Who is this? And the crowd said, the crowd, everyone said, this is the prophet Jesus. Jesus. From Nazareth of Galilee. The reality is for the nation of Israel, those that knew because they said those words, Hosanna to the son of David, because they used those words, Hosanna, salvation, to the son of David. In that phrase, they acknowledged perhaps the most important thing for an Israelite that you could acknowledge That the Savior had come because he had come from the line of David. And that's where they knew their Savior was coming. Their Savior was coming from the house of David, from the lineage of David. And so here they are shouting that to all the world. And they knew this is who he is. And those that didn't know, word traveled quickly. Unfortunately, they're looking for a political savior in this moment, and Jesus came to save them from their sin, not from their government. That's a good reminder for us today, too. Jesus came to save them from their sin, to give them hope, not wishful thinking, but no, an assurance about their eternity and a confidence in their present. He came so that they and we could experience salvation from our sin. We could find the joy of salvation so that we could literally or figuratively wave our palm branch and say, Hosanna, Lord, thank you that you saved me. But I imagine as Jesus made his way through that crowd, as he made his way down the hill, into town, all these people are following him, waving the palm branches, singing and shouting, celebrating. I think about the guy who was, you know, like 10 rows back. You've been to a parade where you didn't get the best seat, and so you're just sort of there like, yeah, yeah. You can't see anything but you know it's happening. What about that guy? Let's think about that guy because that's that guy is some of you. Some of us. That we recognize there's something special about Jesus. There's something unique about him. But we're in the back. We're kind of off to the side. We we're not really sure like what why are we why are we yelling? Why are we singing? Like, please quit hitting me in the face. Like, those are all practical issues. And so I want to encourage you today. If you're here and you're that person that's sort of on the outside, sort of in the shadow, in the back of the room, sort of trailing behind the parade line, Let me encourage you today that Jesus knows who you are and he wants to offer you the hope of eternity because he didn't come just to ride into town and everybody celebrate him. No, he came to die for your sins. He came to give you a brand new life, a life that will last forever. Even as Jillian read earlier that whoever believes in him Whoever believes in him will die, but he will not die. You'll live forever in eternity, and you'll live abundantly today. But there's a prerequisite. Believe. Put your faith in him and him alone for salvation. Because there are a bunch of people in this account who are not interested in that at all. They are actually against that truth. And they're the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. In Luke's account of this, his account of this scene, the Pharisees enter the picture and they begin to get angry at Jesus because all these people are following him, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the son of David. They are declaring him the Messiah, which in Jewish culture would have been blasphemy if it wasn't true. And so they approach Jesus and tell him, they tell him, Rebuke your disciples. Rebuke. We don't use that word very much. We say, like, get your act together. Get these people in line. Rebuke your disciples for saying this. And if you've ever wondered where this phrase came from, Luke 19 is the answer. Jesus responds to them and he says, if they don't say it, the rocks will cry out. The rocks... Nature, inanimate objects will declare the glory and the truth and the majesty and the power and the authority and the salvation found in one name only, the name of Jesus. Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so I wanna be a people who can say that with confidence. I want you to be a person who can celebrate because you know what you're celebrating. You're celebrating the salvation that Jesus offers, not just to the whole world, but to you, you personally. Whether you're watching online or you're here in person, Jesus offers you salvation. He offers you abundant life. He offers you eternal life. But we must believe in him that he's the lamb of God, that perfect lamb that the Israelites sacrificed year after year after year to cover their sin. And then he came as the once and for all sacrificial lamb to pay the penalty of our sin so that we can celebrate We can rejoice. We can lift our voices and shout. And oh, by the way, if you don't sing and shout at the appropriate time, your chair might. So I'd rather you do that than your chair, okay? So that's what we forget sometimes, that we're called to celebrate the goodness of God. And so let's do that. Let's celebrate the goodness of God. But you have to answer this question. Is your hope in Jesus My prayer is that it is. Will you bow with me?